0: Live from the Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Top of the Food Chain.
1: And now your host, he's one part mohawk, two parts
0: attitude, and a touch of what the f***. It's Al Mancini. Las Vegas. Hello, world. Welcome to Top of the Food Chain. Perfect show for anybody that likes to put good things into their mouth from time okay. to time. Um, we are here live. Thanks a lot for watching live. Um, we will be taking questions. So if anybody out there has something they want to hit us with, you can email us. That's at food at network.com Also got a live chat going on. That was blowing up last week. So hopefully some of you guys are still around and will be chatting with us. We've got some controversial topics. We're going to be talking a lot about gourmet today, um, one in particular, but my guest today is going to be able to chat about just about anything. So if you've got any questions about gourmet food, hit us up with that. In the meantime, um, what else do I need to let you know? You can listen now. This is cool. You know, I spent my entire life trying to get off of AM radio. I <laughs> feel like I was, that was my full-time job for about 15 years. And um, as much as I did love it, now I'm finally doing video. And our good producer, Scott, has syndicated us onto AM radio, but Woo-hoo! great. You can hear all of our shows now. Which is great, man. It's it's great to be back in radio. As you can tell, I've got a face for radio. And um, 1400 AM every Friday night. Nice big, what is it? About four-hour block of programming, Scott. Yeah, from uh, from six to ten. Six to ten. So you just drive around in your car, turn on 1400 AM, get to listen to all the great Vegas Video Network programming. Um, you won't get to see any of it because it's radio. So you know you won't get to see my beautiful face. But like I said, it tends to work better that way sometimes. Anyway, if you have questions, we've got a chat line with the radio station, so you could dial in at 866-966-4599. and I guess they record your questions and they'll play them back for us. So yeah, that's for that's
2: for all the shows on the Vegas Video Network. Yeah,
0: any any of the shows, um, pub crawl, golf, Scotch Show, um, we we got a ton of them, real estate, all sorts of stuff. So um, definitely make sure you check out all of those shows. You can see them right here at VegasVideoNetwork.com. Get them on iTunes. You can get audio versions, video versions on iTunes. They're up on YouTube. Pretty much we are everywhere you need to be. So if you're not listening to our shows or hearing our shows or seeing our shows, you're really just not trying.
2: <laughs> OK, Scott, how are you, man? It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Of course, they're selling. The Sahara next to us, I'm a little sad about that.
0: Yeah, that's why I was kind of running over here. I felt like that um, cheetah in the beginning because I got stuck over <laughs> at the Sahara interviewing some people. Um, huge line to get into that thing, and just pretty much everything is for sale. Not an auction. I thought it was an auction, but it's actually just price tags on everything. Oh, I thought it was an auction. No, not an auction. It's just a consignment, I mean, just a um, liquidation sale. So, so everything, you can just go pick something up and buy it. Just pick it up, you buy it. Um, the hottest selling item, I've been told, is little camel lamps that they have. And they're going for, I think, 150 bucks a pop. But a lot of people just buying like the chairs and things. There's, um, I think, there's a $12,000 chandelier that's up for sale. So I mean, were, did you go inside and actually walk around and see what they've got going? A little bit. I had to run over here because I know you don't like it when I'm late. But um, yeah, I, I checked out some of the stuff and talked to some of the people who are buying it. So not food related, but all the kitchen supplies also for sale. So if you need an industrial kitchen, the entire theater, everything in yeah. there is for sale. I mean, just anything, you know that. TVs from the rooms, the whole, you know, the whole. Is it all
2: years. laid out for sale? Or are they in the places they were in when they were actually a casino? Because that'd be a little creepy.
0: Yeah, no, I think some of the penthouses are open, and you can actually see all of the, you know, the, the furnishings. And I didn't go up there. There's a lot of just sample things just laid out, like all the kitchenware in one little section of the main casino floor, right. and you know, things like that. So, anyway, something to worth worth doing if you want a little piece of Vegas history. In the meantime, what else is going on? Um, Scott, have you been watching um, Top Chef Masters?
2: Um, I haven't. I have been kind of busy uh, working here, really. Yeah, OK.
0: Well, t- I don't want a spoiler alert. Hopefully, everybody's seen it already. The finale was last night. And um, I wanted to go over to Border Grill and watch it, because Mary Sue Milliken actually made it to the finale. And um, I assumed it would be airing live. But instead, they showed it live during the East Coast feed. So I missed it. Disappointing. Another Vegas chef makes it to the finals of Top Chef Masters, but does not go all the way. Mary Sue did a great job last night, uh, much like Rick Moonen and Hubert Keller before her. Also, Mandalay Bay chefs made it all the way to the finals, didn't take the prize home. She did raise 40 grand for charity, so um, she had a good run. Um, I, I'm just—I I need to complain a little bit. I think Top Chef Masters kind of really run its course to a certain degree. I don't know who they're calling masters anymore. I, I'll give Mary Sue master because she's got a, um, she's got a you know, successful restaurant in Los Angeles, successful restaurant here in Las Vegas. Having Alex Strata on, I mean he had two Michelin stars, but a lot of the guys that are just on this season, they just seem like chefs nobody's ever heard of. So I think that may have run its course. I am moving on to next Food Network star. That is the new one, and Scott, you said you haven't watched that one either. huh? No sir, I have not. But I got a buddy on that one, Vic Vegas, and we're gonna try to get him down here. Um, hopefully next week, and tell us what really happens, and all the stuff that ends up on the editing room floor. So um, do do you perceive that? We've
2: we've talked about reality shows on other shows here. And a lot of people think, or tell me, that they're all very scripted, that much of what happens really isn't very reality-ish at all. But in fact, you're kind of told what to do. Have you heard that before?
0: Um, yeah, I've, I've heard that about certain shows. Some of them, you know, I mean, it used to be the old, I guess, you know, the real world thing. You just ply people with alcohol and you put them <laughs> in a room together and drama ensues. But, you know, I mean, a lot of these cooking shows, they are cooking competitions. So there's, you know, a bit more about a competition than just following a bunch of idiots around and seeing who fights with who. You know? yeah, so, yeah. Um, I, you know, Vic does tell me, though, and this is one reason I've always advised people not to go on reality shows if you don't have something to promote. Because, you know, if somebody follows you around 24 hours a day with a camera and only uses 10 minutes on, on the air, they can pretty much pick the 10 minutes where you're a really nice guy, or they can pick the 10 minutes where you're a horrible human being. And we've all got that in our day. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, he's, that's, that's what he's going to come down and chat about, you know, whether the people that look nasty on the show are, you know, really nasty. Hopefully, we'll get all that dirt. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't think I'd want to do a reality show. Now, I don't think if, I mean, you know, if I had something to promote, I thought it would help sell my book, maybe I'd do it, you know, but I mean, just to see my face on TV. I've got you for that, Scott. That's right. That's what I'm here for. And a beautiful face it is, my friend. Why, thank you. Why, thank you. So we're going to take a quick break. We are going to come back and talk foie gras, one of the more controversial and, in my opinion, one of the most delicious foods on the planet. We'll talk foie and any other gourmet ingredients you want to chat about right after this.
2: Hi, I'm Chris Phillips from Talk Tales, and you're watching the
0: Vegas Video Network. And if you stop by the studio, our producer Scott's going to buy everybody a drink. And we are back on top of the food chain at Vegas Video Networks. And um, my guest with me today, actually, it's cool seeing Chris. I thought I might bump into Chris down at the Sahara sale, actually. Seems like the kind of guy who might want to... Um, a little piece of Vegas history, but I didn't <laughs> really <stand> down there. <laughs> anyway, my guest today, one of my old friends, Brett Odolenghi of Artisanal Foods. Brett, how are you, man? Very good. good Great to see, to see you, brother. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. This is my go-to guy whenever I need information on gourmet products, whether we're talking truffles, caviar, foie gras. Um, ridiculously expensive olive oils, balsamic vinegar that's been aged a billion years. I mean you you've got it all man. Thank you very much. Yes it's a fun job. I get to supply all of the
1: ingredients that the chefs dream about on the strip and uh, some of the rare and hard-to-find products. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. It's always something new. And that's that's how I learned um, about your your store because of course all my chef friends buy from you. But it is cool. Just so you know, you can actually, Brett's got a store right across from the airport, artisanal foods, open to the public. So if you want some of this crazy stuff, and you don't want to pay restaurant prices for it, then, you know, I mean, go in. He's got, he's got Iberico ham, probably the greatest ham That's in the right. world, and just everything, everything. It's, it's all there, we're open to the public, and you can get all
1: the same things the restaurants are using, Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: But we're here to talk foie gras. OK. Foie gras is probably, as I said, one of the most controversial foods in the world. And as far as I'm concerned, the yummiest food in the world because it is basically just meat and fat. That's, it's just unbelievable. It's just luscious and scrumptious. I think a lot of people out there are intimidated by foie gras. It Comes in a lot of different forms, and, um, and they, some people just don't know what it is. So right. let's set the basics. Foie okay. gras is? It is a duck
1: liver, uh, specifically the moulard duck, which is a duck that is bred from a Muscovy and a Pekin. Uh, so they cross those two ducts to form this this moulard, which produces a very large liver. Um, and basically, there's three farms domestically here in the United States: two in New York and one in California. Uh, and it's a very it's a very traditional ingredient in French and the French culture and cuisine.
0: So yeah, and we've got a couple couple foies right up here, right in front of us. So this is what they look like. This is the fatty liver. Now we say they're over fattened livers because basically. The ducks are force-fed considerably more than they would eat naturally in order to get their livers to grow. It, it, it's What you're referring to is a period called the gavage, which is a,
1: um, generally about two weeks, uh, anywhere between 14 days to 24 days um, at the end of, uh, of the duck's life prior to harvest. So, um, But to put it in perspective, the average duck that you would find in a restaurant, a Pekin duck, um, Has generally been raised between five to eight weeks. It's a very short, it's a quick growth rate, uh, much like the chicken industry. With the foie gras duck, we actually uh, allow them to live in a beautiful outdoors under a a pecan grove in in Northern California. They they spend about 26 months, or I'm sorry, 46 months, uh, just outside living as ducks, Um, and uh, they have ponds and puddles and things to play around in. And then uh, after that period, they go into barns, where for in our case, 17 days, um, the ducks uh, they each have pens. We have uh, eight ge- eight ducks per pen. Uh, it's a pretty spacious. It's nice. I've, I've watched the whole process start to finish, and it's during that period that uh, of the gavage that yes, it is a force feeding. Um, however, it's not necessarily what you might think. Um, I've I've watched the process, and a lot of people say that, that for example, the feeding process uh, gives fatty liver disease. This is uh, something that you hear often.
0: Yeah, a lot of the animal rights activists just love to say, this is a diseased liver. You're paying a lot of money to eat a diseased liver. And just not really true. I mean, for example, ducks in order, ducks and geese in general, their livers are meant to expand because they have to fly south and migrate for the winter. So they will force feed themselves prior to that to some extent, to a certain and extent. So
1: the uh, thing is that uh, f- most fowls uh, store fat in their liver instead of uh, as we do you know, around our waist or wherever. And uh, all over <laughs> so, with me, it's all over. <laughs> wish I could just limit it to one area, but. So they naturally do store fat there. Now, these are much larger than, uh, in the fall, a lot of ducks and geese will naturally overfeed, and their liver will grow to two or three times the natural size. Um, this is more than that. Um, however, we're basically utilizing that trigger mechanism, which when they think that, by, because they're being overfed, they feel as though they're gearing up for a long flight. And uh, so they start to store all of this fat. We, we use a it's a rubber tube, which uh, replaced uh, the tradition was an old metal uh, tube, but uh, to better take care of the ducks, we've switched to rubber uh, generally across the industry. and um, it's a little little uh, nicer for them. But what I really saw so I, I visit farms all over the country and, and even internationally, and I've seen uh, chickens produced uh, both in a field, pastured chickens, as well as very uh, customary chickens that you'd find in your regular supermarket. And you know people have a, a great deal of problems with foie gras. But what they don't realize is that compared to the, the meats and things that you see in your grocery store, these ducks are living in a paradise. Um, I mean, really, a, a paradise compared to, uh, to general ducks or chickens uh, in the poultry right. industry.
0: And that's, that's really, that, that one of the things that annoys me, because the animal rights activists love to complain about foie gras. And they've got these old PETA videos that were taken, I think, over 10 years ago. There's I've actually w- spoken to the guy who shot that video, some of those videos, and he admits they were taken years and years ago. And it used to be a little cruel. They'd use the metal tubes, and the ducks couldn't spread their wings in the cages. But we have changed that drastically, at least in the United States, the way that foie gras is produced. They, they live well. And if you're eating at KFC, or just picking up chicken in your supermarket, or just normal eggs in your supermarket, you're probably inflicting a lot more cruelty on an animal than is inflicted on these foie I'm actually a member of PETA. I care very much about the, how all the animals, the, the,
1: the quality of meats and the, the animals that we sell are being taken care of in a way that far surpasses most common practices. Um, and. Um, so you're right. The reason that PETA really chose, and a lot of activists chose, foie gras to go after is that it is such an easy target. It's something which most people haven't tasted, and the people who have tasted it are generally wealthy, and that creates an easy target. So well, Yeah, and that's um, the
0: same thing. I mean, you know, people run around screaming about, if, if they see me wearing like my rabbit fur, Jacket, which is really pimping, by the way. (laughs) Gotta check that out. But, you know, they see me wearing this rabbit fur coat and they're like, oh, that's fur, it's horrible. And these same people have got leather shoes on, you know. But it's easy to attack something that wealthy people like, like fur or foie gras, much easier than insulting leather, which hipsters like, or like, or or KFC. You know what I mean? And
1: additionally, uh, it's a lot easier to go after a small farm like Sonoma, which is run by a family. One family from El Salvador, they moved here 25 years ago. and you know, we're talking about a small operation. They're doing probably under a million dollars a year in business, which is a relatively small company. And, and that's a much easier uh, person to go up against than, say, Purdue or something that's uh, a,
0: a big company that probably isn't treating their animals as well. So, um, so there, there we've, we've covered the controversy. Let's talk about how, and hopefully much to your satisfaction, Peter people. Now get if, off my if, back. About if anybody why. wants to really dive into it and have, a,
1: have an opinion of their own, an informed opinion, there's a book called The Foie Gras Wars uh, written by Mark Cha- uh, Caro. And this man spent about two years visiting foie gras farms all around the world, really went in depth. And it was scary because a lot of the farms didn't want to open their doors to him. You never know how people are going to perceive it. Um, But after two years, and he got really close to the industry, his basic opinion was in agreement with with the producers that we have taken all the steps uh, to keep these animals happy.
0: And I will say, if you you are worried, honestly, I would eat stuff from Sonoma, from Hudson, um, and then there's one-third U.S. label, LaBelle, but it's pretty small comparatively to the other two. But those three places in the U.S. are doing this in these cruelty-free methods. If you're getting it from Europe, and if you're getting it from Canada, I know chefs who won't use those products, because they say it's, they, the ducks still live pretty hard. They're,
1: they're not as, uh, as advanced as we are in America. They're, they're not as, um, uh, they, they don't know so much about animal welfare, uh, I guess, in Europe. Um, now, also, a lot of people will have heard of a, it's a, a foie gras that's advertised as humane. Um, it was made most popular by a chef named Danny Barber in New York. Uh, he imports it from a farm in Spain, um, a man named Eduardo Sosa. And um, this is an interesting method, one that I'm trying to find a farm in the U.S. to do, where he actually does use geese, and he only has one harvest a year. He takes advantage of that natural uh, mechanism in the geese that in the fall they're going to overfeed. He simply, in troughs, supplies as much food as they would like to eat, uh, and, they, and they gorge themselves. Uh, the livers will never be as large as these, probably about a third the size or, or a half the size. And it is exceedingly expensive. It's also only available in cans because it's produced once a year. Um, but that is one alternative. It's currently only available at Blue Hill, which is Danny Barber's uh, restaurant. Um,
0: uh, to get people back to some more basics, we say foie gras, we in the United States are generally talking about duck livers. but They do, in other countries, use goose livers, which you mentioned. It's hard to find. I understand there may be a restaurant in Aria that is using it. But I have to go over there and see that firsthand. Um, But it's pretty rough. Why do we opt for duck and not geese here in America?
1: Uh, Temperament. Ducks are nice, happy, friendly animals, (laughs) and geese are not. Um, We tried to uh, use geese one year for the holiday season. Uh, We thought it'd be nice. And uh, they are vicious animals when you put them all together. (laughs) Uh, they're very territorial, and um, so unfortunately, we're not going to try that again. Because but then we wouldn't
0: feel so bad about cutting their heads off, really. I mean, if they're nasty, you know, that's like, you know, getting back to fur, minks are really evil little animals, too, so I don't really feel that bad about well, wearing one, you know?
1: The geese, um, they, they, they can be so cruel to one another that you don't need any human intervention. So... Um,
0: And we're rewarding them by not eating them. We're saying, you're so nasty, we're going to let you live. Nice little duck, you're cool, you're dead. You're on the table.
1: Right. And um, so in the US, uh, we have a rule. Basically, the ducks, after being harvested, have to bleed for 24 hours in a cooler. And uh, then they can be sold after that 24-hour period. And I'm actually, when I saw this lobe, I was quite proud of that one, because you can tell just how fresh this is. you get this blue discoloration and when I first started selling foie gras I thought that was something uh, wrong and I had chefs uh, returning product to me until I realized why and this only uh, stays for about uh, till 48 or sometimes to 72 hours and then after that uh, it
0: goes away and uh, So this so little duck was often. quacking away just a few days ago. Right. And now he's delicious. It's very. very <laughs> right. um, so you have We'll talk a little bit about the gratings, but I want to I show some ideas of what you can actually do with foie gras. We've got some photos up just of places around town. Before we throw them up, I will say the basic ways that you're going to find foie gras, I'd say in 90% of the restaurants, you're either just going to get some basic seared foie gras, just throw it in a pan, sear it up with a nice little fruit. That's my favorite way to dine on foie Probably gras, generally. And then you'll see it in either pâtés, terrines, or tourchons, And all of those are types of charcuterie, which we spoke about recently. And they're basically pressed meat. And I made my own torshan You gave me one of these lobes. Mm-hmm. I took this right. home. And it's pretty much the first thing you have to do is you get get the veins out, which I let my wife do, uh, because she has a steadier hand, I think, than I do.
1: It's a tough process. Um, you have to keep it cold, your tools, the environment, the lobe itself. And it's really like operating on a stick of butter and uh, you to extract the, the
0: veins. Yeah, and we got the veins out, and then we soaked it overnight, I think, in milk. And it's pretty much just seasoned with... Um, with salt and pepper, for the most part, to cure it and a couple extra spices. And we were trying to remember. I can't remember if I blanched mine or not, whether I cooked it at all. I think I may have blanched it. But then you really, you just, this stuff, it is fat. It's pure fat. And it takes on the consistency of modeling clay. I mean, you really can just mold it, like you're playing with Play-Doh with this stuff. And you roll it out in cheesecloth, and you try to get it nice and round, and you hang it overnight in your fridge. And then you've got well, I had a real lumpy, ugly one, but um, if you're good at it, it should be nice and perfectly round. And then you slice it, and that's what you'll find in a lot of restaurants is as a tourchon. Again, terrines, very, very similar product, and even pates aren't that far off. Right. Um, and those are things you just take your knife and you spread it on, you know, on some nice brioche is usually the best way to dine on it. Again, I prefer seared, just plain old seared foie gras, but those are those are really the primary ways you're going to see it. We've got chefs here in town though that are doing some amazing stuff with foie, and some interesting. I couldn't get all the pictures that I wanted. Like I know you're good friends with my buddy Gary right. Lamort and he does a foie gras martini, which is just <laughs> unreal, man. I mean, you have never had a drink like this before. It's great with vodka and brandy. But let's, Scott, can we pop up just a few other preparations here of foie gras? Some things you might see. Uh, this is one of my favorite. This is a foie gras mousse with um, a little. Like jelly on the top, and that's served over at Flora by Hubert Keller. Oh, beautiful! And that's just absolutely gorgeous. Just nice, smooth, soft. You know, just excellent. You got to consider this is like your liquid meat. This, these things, you know, they're just great. Um, what else do we have? A few more. I think that's basically. I'm believing that's a terrine. That's from John George Steakhouse. It looks like it looks like a terrine there. And then we've got a couple other really really crazy ones. Um, that this is my favorite. This is basically a foie gras creme brulee, or a custard brulee, they call wow. it. And you can get that at Sage over at Aria. Wonderful. And he just makes it into a nice little custard with a little brandy and some peppers and spices. And the brioche that he serves it with just makes it absolutely just it looks wonderful. out wonderful world. Right, looks like we've got someone on the chat line. Hopefully not, hopefully not a member of PETA. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now,
2: Maya wants to know, is there a big difference in taste between uh, foie gras and chopped liver? Very big. Um, it, it almost has nothing to do with the taste of, of chopped
1: liver. Uh, that can usually be very minerally, and um, you taste it's very gamey, whereas foie gras, is, you, it tastes more of corn and
0: cream, and uh, it's a very light rich flavor. Yeah. If you have, say, um, like chicken livers or a chicken liver pate and then a foie gras, you know, terrine right next to each other, I mean, two totally different worlds. And again, there's, it's the texture and it's the buttery and the richness and the fattiness of it that really is what separates it from absolutely anything else you're going to find anywhere in the world. I'd say the closest thing that I've found to it is monkfish liver, which is just is kind of similar. If you've ever had ankino in a Japanese restaurant, I'm not really going to say that they're the same thing, but if I had to find something that I would put on the level with an, another animal's liver that I would put on the level, I'd say monkfish liver is like the foie gras. Of I'm the still sick. trying to get a hold of a piece of monkfish liver, so oh. <laughs> I need to try it. Well, okay. We got to go out and have some. They make a great one over at Center Japan, as a matter of fact. Wow. So if you get we a got channel. some more pictures. Do you want some more, Al? Um, yeah. Let's see what else we what else I brought along. Oh, this is over at. Um, uh, in the Cosmopolitan, that's at Kamsa, and that's just basically some plain sautéed foie gras served with a little bit of candied pears over there. And this, again, my favorite form to just kind of eat foie is, um, you know, it just just basically sauté it up, and and it's great. And we also now we got the world's yeah, the world's most expensive hamburger. What you're looking at right here. Is well, that's a five thousand dollar hamburger. Uh, the reason is because it's that's served with that bottle of Petrus right there, oh, and that wow. bottle of Petrus is pretty much worth five thousand dollars itself. And you can get this one at um, again at Fleur by Hubert Keller. You can get it without the Petrus, the same one at um, Burger Bar, also. Right. and I that's it's like what seventy dollars or something? Like that? It was 60? sixty. They may okay. have raised the price, but that comes that burger comes with um, seared foie gras and then with fresh shaved truffles on it. Which is just absolutely amazing, and of course they use wagyu beef. I think it's a little fatty to do that. Actually, there's so much fat in the foie gras that to use wagyu beef, I don't really like. What I do is I make a, a cheap version of that when I don't want to spend the sixty bucks or seventy bucks, and I use um, buffalo meat, because it's much leaner, it really offsets the foie gras, and then instead of using the fresh shaved truffles, they have a truffle sauce. So instead of me spending $30 for the truffles, I can spend $4 for a truffle flavored sauce. And I get a leaner version of it, and really that's probably about a $25 burger instead of a $60 burger. First of all, I need to thank you, I think it was by coincidence, but all those
1: pictures you showed, those were, that's our foie gras in all those restaurants. Oh, excellent. That's great. Yeah, I just called some (laughs) chef buddies and had them send me over what they had. uh, I just want to mention my favorite way, something very easy that people can duplicate at home. Um, I love to make uh, a nice fluffy French toast, and then sear a piece of foie gras, top, it, uh, top the French toast with a foie gras, and then either a nice maple syrup or, or a sprinkle of powdered sugar. And I know it sounds strange, but this, uh, especially if you sear the foie with, with salt, uh, you have this wonderful contrast uh, with the saltiness of the foie and the sweetness of the
0: French toast, and also the two textures. It's really a nice way to introduce yourself to it. If anyone really gets into foie gras, there are a lot of great chefs that do it. I mean, seriously, I've seen so many strange foie gras things in this town. They use it on sushi over at Sushi Samba. Okay. On some of their sushi rolls, they top with it. But again, my buddy Gary, who does the foie gras martini, once did a meal for me with 12 courses of foie gras. Aside from the fact that my cholesterol was probably like eight billion after that. But um, it was absolutely amazing. He mixes it with cocoa. And because it's so fatty and so smooth, you can, you know, you can kind of render it down to sort of liquid form, and you can do a lot of things with it. And he makes encapsulations out of it and just all kinds of absolutely nuts. And that's the weird thing. When, you, when people work with this at home, if they're actually going to cook it and you put it in a pan, you'd be amazed at how much fat just melts off of it while you're cooking it's, it. it. It's literally like trying to sear a stick
1: of butter. Uh, it's, uh, it renders as fast as it's searing. So you, you want to do it quick. And yeah. uh, a pro, a pro, if, you, if your piece of foie is roughly 3 quarters of an inch, Um, Probably about a minute on each side to sear it, and then maybe into a 350 degree oven uh, for a few minutes just to finish it through, uh, especially if it's a little thicker than that. And I suggest only, only, um, you you can cheat a little bit and dust it before with either uh, salt or flour, and that's going to give you a nice uh, crispy crust. Uh, But I generally like to season after because the salt is going to pull moisture uh, from the lobe as it's cooking, and it's going to be harder to
0: sear because it's got uh, you've got to burn off that water, that moisture that's collecting from the salt. And then as far as serving, you know, the classic would be that you'd always use some fresh seasonal fruits with it because the sweetness of fresh fruits really right. and with the earthiness of the foie really kind of offsets it very nicely. Right. Now, you've got, these are, now these are called lobes, correct? This right. is a lobe of foie gras, and um, is this the full liver? One lobe is that full liver? That is the liver? full liver, yes. Okay. And you know you have them listed in two categories, A and B. Yes, grade A and grade B.
1: There is no standard here. Uh, it's by farm to farm. Um, everybody's different. Some farm says a grade B is a smaller lobe of foie gras. Uh, in our case, we find that uh, normally a, a lot of American chefs like large lobes of foie uh, French chefs generally like smaller lobes of foie Um and um, the. It, it all depends. For searing, generally, larger is better. For uh, torchon or um, churines, small, uh the smaller lobes are better. Um, and if you'd like me to get it, I can tell you why. It's basically because uh, the, the, the number of cells in a liver is relatively fixed. It, it goes up and down a little bit. But a larger liver really just has larger fat cells. So as you cook it, it's going to render more fat because the, the, they'll be shrinking. Whereas if you start with a smaller lobe, you'll have less rendering. Um, and so we have A and B. The main difference in our case is the, um, the B is going to be
2: softer. The A is going
1: to be more firm.
0: OK. We got another question. Scott,
2: what's cooking? We do. We got a couple questions, actually. Nate wants to know is, is we're actually calling it FG here. OK. Well, wow, we got our own little. <laughs> 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 is uh, is fogwa best as an appetizer or main course? Uh, and then the other question from Maya is, is there a difference between uh, American foie and foie from other countries?
0: Well, I'd, I'd say primarily because in other countries they do tend to use goose more frequently than we do. And again, if you're worried about the cruelty situation, I think it's much more humane. What would you say taste-wise between American and... It, it really comes down to personal preference,
1: but um, I'll tell you there are a few differences. Uh, ours is made very similar to the French in the number of days of the gavage. So our sizing is going to be similar to the French, whereas, say, a Hudson Valley is another big brand that you see. Those tend to run very large. Uh, The other difference is that, so in in this case with Sonoma, they're using cooked corn. They cook all the corn down into a mush. makes it much more digestible. And by breaking down the starches in the the corn, uh, those starches then come across as sweetness and sugar in the final product. It's a little bit sweeter. You get a nice caramelization when you sear on this. With some other farms, to cut costs a little bit, they will mix um, they will mix soybean with the uh, with the corn, and they usually just grind it rather than cooking it uh, to save some time. And that is nice in that uh, the, high, the the soybean feed uh, adds protein, builds a stronger cell wall, it'll uh, give you a longer shelf life in the product, and also reduce rendering in the pan. However, it It imparts somewhat of an irony flavor, in my opinion, if they've used too much soybean, and it can also it can also give somewhat of a cottage cheese looking texture. So uh, I, we, your, your goal is you want a smooth custard-like texture
0: right. in the floor. And with regard to the question um, whether it's better as an appetizer or an entree, I would say nine out of 10 times you're going to see people serving it as an appetizer. And it's just because it's so rich. To actually sit down and try to have a not. Now again, if you go to Gary's place and he serves it 12 courses straight through. They all have foie on them. But generally speaking, I mean the richness, you're really a little bit will do you. And you're really going to feel kind of heavy to try to eat right. an entire lobe as an entree. It's just Somewhere not, around three ounces is a good portion size. Uh, that, that'll,
1: that'll fill you up a, a good bit.
0: Okay, well, look, um, did have one quick email question okay. that I wanted to get to, and somebody, Jim, had emailed me asking, because Father's Day's coming up, don't forget Dad's out there, people. Everybody always takes care of Mom, and asking for recommendations, good places here in Las Vegas to take. Dad, do you have a favorite place? Uh, or, for Father's, Father's Day? Father's I, Day, anything? Uh, I would have to suggest artisanal foods. <laughs> <laughs> OK. I actually, I just wrote a piece. And you can check it out on um, citiesbest.com in Las Vegas. I ran down five good deals that are going on. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not going to do them all. You can look it up. But Kamsa um, is having a good Father's Day brunch. Carrie okay. Simon is extending to some more dad-themed, I think he's doing like Guinness biscuits, and you know more dad-themed during his normal Sunday. Um, Sunday Brunch, which is the cool one that you can go to in your pajamas, which is a lot of fun, and all the hot waitresses wear their pajamas, <laughs> and it's it's pretty cool. Um, that's another good thing for Father's Day. Uh, where else did I tell people? Oh, you know, Rumbar is doing a special, a cocktail and a cigar for 20 bucks. So that's a good thing bring Dad. Also, steakhouses are always great. Uh, my opinion on steakhouses in this town, I think I may have said it here before, Dad, if Dad really wants a good steak for an old-school vibe, I would always send you to Circus Circus the absolute best steak, especially if you like dry-aged beef, I would send people to Carnavino. And for the coolest overall steakhouse, I'd definitely send people to Cut, which is kind of Wolfgang Puck deconstructing the entire steakhouse concept. You know, I heard they have dry-aged beef that's as much as even a year old. I uh, had a 15-month <laughs> cut at Carnivino, 15 months of dry-aging, and the mold they had to scrape off of it before they could even bring <laughs> it out to show us, and there was still a ton of mold on it. But, that was great. So anyway, everyone, thank you so much for coming down, Brett. We thank hopefully, you. we'll have you down Enjoyed to it. chat about other things at other times in the future. Great. In the meantime, stay tuned. Tune in again next week. Um, as I said, really going to try to get Vic Vegas down here to talk about what goes on behind the scenes at, um, in the next Food Network star. And if you don't know Vic, you're definitely going to want to check that out. Email me any questions you have, food at vegasvideonetwork.com. Make sure you tune in to KSHP AM 1400 on Friday night to hear all of the great Vegas video network programming. Again, you don't get to see our beautiful faces, but you do get to listen to us. And buy that book, Eating Las Vegas, The 50 Essential Restaurants, because as I say... It's a great book. It's a great, you can buy that at Artisanal Foods, as a matter of fact, very and at Burger Bar, another place that we showed today, and you can get it on Amazon, and it is very inexpensive, and yet it makes me happy when people buy it. So. Thank everyone very much. This has been Top of the Food Chain. I will see you next week.